1: I don't know if it was exactly what everybody wanted to play, but the fact of the matter was it was a hit record. So there's very varied taste in that band, which was probably to me its strength, but it's what pulled it apart in the end. Oh, yeah, sure. I've done it a few times with Joe. did it a couple of times with John Belushi doing Joe. (laughs) Was that more fun? Uh, With Belushi? Of course.
2: Hello and welcome to episode 42 of Vintage Rock Pod The ultimate classic rock podcast that proudly claims that my music is better than yours I'm Paul Stevenson, thanks as always for hitting play Now, today's guest is another rock and roll hall of famer The 10th we've had on the show already Dave Mason from Traffic Now he lives in Hawaii and I live in the Highlands of Scotland So with the time differences to get this interview sorted I had to get up early It was the evening for Dave, it was 6am for me, but well worth the early rise to get sorted and get the studio turned on and everything else. Now, I was really excited to hear from Dave because his CV is incredible. Genuinely, he's played with some of the biggest classic rock stars and on some of the best classic rock songs of all time. Now, much like recent guest Bev Bevan from ELO, he was on episode 40, Dave's from the Midlands area of the UK too – He met the bandmates he'd later enter the rock hall with, Jim Capaldi, Chris Wood and a certain Steve Winwood, at the Melting Pot that we discussed with Bev and very early on in the series as well with Bob Catley from Magnum, which was Birmingham, home to some of the most incredible bands of all time. Now, although his tenure with the band Traffic was fairly brief, he left a legacy and it certainly wasn't to be the end of the story for him. Now, as you're going to hear in the interview, he later went on to play and record with The Rolling Stones, Fleetwood Mac, Paul McCartney, George Harrison, Eric Clapton, and had a top 100 hit in the US with Michael Jackson. And, uh, yeah, another and, and as good friends with Jimi Hendrix, he actually played on the recording of All Along the Watchtower, my favourite cover version of all time. You'll hear some of them stories coming up soon as well. Now, although he's English, he's lived in Hawaii since the 70s. And over there, he scored some big solo hits too. Now, his solo work saw him achieve a platinum and four gold albums in America as part of seven releases that all made the top 50 on the Billboard chart. So there you go. Like I said, one hell of a CV, one hell of a life. So here you go. Enjoy my chat this week with Traffic's Dave Mason. I'm delighted to speak with a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee, inducted by the band he helped form when he was just a teenager. He's had a successful solo career with gold and platinum albums and has worked with the cream of the crop in classic rock from the Rolling Stones to Paul McCartney, George Harrison, Eric Clapton and Jimi Hendrix. I'm excited to hear his stories now. All the way from Hawaii, it's my pleasure to speak with Traffic founding member Dave Mason. Hi, Dave. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining me from the other side of the world. How is lovely? hawaii
1: ah uh, beautiful
2: <laughs> very nice absolutely absolutely now uh, yeah thank you for joining us uh, we're going to chat about your career it's an incredible career 50 years spanning and such and um, we'll start back at the beginning though um traffic i mean you were just a teenager when the band got together and you're writing big hits holding my shoe and feeling all right and that sort of stuff i mean that's that's pretty incredible really isn't it for anybody
1: yeah i guess so i mean i just was you know uh, the right place, the right time, whatever. I mean, it was just fortuitous that uh, Jim and I got met up with Winwood, And um, that band just happened just out of basically just, you know, guys just hanging out, listening to music a lot um, when we could. And it just developed into traffic.
2: So how did all that happen then? How did you guys meet? Because the, the end of the 60s in the UK was, was, was rocking time, wasn't it? You think of the bands that were coming through at the time and the music that was being played. So how did you all get together?
1: Um, We just, uh, we met in a place called the Elbow Room in Birmingham, basically, an after-hours club. A lot of bands would go there. Actually, uh, um, the Moody Blues early on, when Denny Lane was their singer, mm-hmm. uh, were playing there. Uh, played there one night, um, and there was always some great music. But that's how we met just developed from there. And like I said, just four guys hanging out. (laughs) (laughs) Four young guys
2: hanging out indeed. And then, like we said, I think one of the first songs that you wrote was Hole In My Shoe, which was a big hit over here in the UK. Got to number two, didn't it?
1: Yes. Yes, it did. It got to number two. Engel Butch Humperdinck kept me from number one. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, it was It was the first song I'd ever written. It was, what was I, 19, 18, 19 years old. Very, um, Naive in a way. It was Song of the Times and a lot. And I was playing sitar. That influence was coming into music a lot. So I, I just, I don't know if it was exactly what everybody wanted to play, but the fact of the matter was it was a hit record. So Absolutely. It drew everybody's attention to what Traffic was doing otherwise. I mean, there's it was, it was very varied tastes in that band, which was... Probably to me, it's strength, but it's what uh, pulled it apart in the end.
2: Yeah, and you mentioned there—I mean, pulling it apart. You left, didn't you, after the, the first album first came out, Mister Fantasy, which was a big hit again. I mean, top twenty in the UK. The album itself—it was a hit yeah, in America I, as well.
1: Yeah, I left. I left. Mo- mo- I left because I was just so y- too young, so young, and the success was um, just for me. It was. Um, I'm I'm from Worcester. Yeah. I'm just you know running around in farmland. So it was all a little bit too much for me at the time, at that age. Um, And yeah, I left.
2: And when you left, you you did other bits and bobs, didn't you? I mean, you worked with the family on their first album, didn't you? I I did, I worked. So
1: how how did you... Yeah, go ahead.
2: Sorry, I was going to say, so how how did that help with you? Obviously, you're still very young at that point, but you're working with another band on their debut album. Did that kind of help with everything?
1: Yeah, you know, I was, you know, just, you know, when you're that age, you know, there isn't anything you can't do, or at least you'll try so learning the studio was part of everything for me. And um, my name John Gilbert, who, for, who we were friends with through Chris Blackwell at Island, was managing this band called Family, which I, was very much a very alternate band. And yeah, I, st- I, 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 I was there for most of the production, and then Jimmy Miller took over at the very end. But it was an interesting band.
2: absolutely absolutely and your connection with them went a bit further didn't it but going back to traffic you did rejoin didn't you in time for the the second album and you contributed a whole host of songs and again the big song feeling all right was on there and that's the one that kind of everyone remembers it was a big hit and and joe cock has obviously since taken it on and things like that but can you remember much about the the sessions or the writing of feeling
1: all right uh well i had written that song during the period of time that i was not um, with traffic, I actually wrote it in a uh, wrote it on an island called Hydra in Greece. It's just a uh, you know, it's a unrequited love song, basically.
2: <laughs> and what did you make of Joe Cocker? I mean, did you get a chance to perform with Joe Cocker when he did it?
1: Oh yeah, sure. I've Done it a few times with Joe. Yeah, they did it a couple of times with John Belushi doing Joe.
2: <laughs> Was that more fun?
1: Uh, with Belushi? Yeah. Of course. <laughs>
2: absolutely brilliant and then obviously that second traffic album was another big hit as well top 10 in the uk that one and 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 after that you kind of you left the band and you did a lot of different work didn't you 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 met a lot of friends in the in the music business and we're talking huge high profile people and we'll just touch on a couple of these big stories you've, you've spoken about in the past as well i mean we'll start with with jimmy hendrix i mean probably one of the greatest cover songs of all time cover versions all along the watchtower and and you performed on that song with him didn't you
1: uh, I played acoustic guitar on that, and uh, sang on Crosstown Traffic. I did some other tracks with him, playing sitar and bass, but I have—I really have no idea what happened to him. <laughs> uh, so, um, but yeah, I spent some good time with him. I mean, he was amazing.
2: So how did all that come about with All Along the Watchtower then?
1: Uh, we just heard the new uh, Bob Dylan album, uh, uh, that was that was out somebody had a copy um, one afternoon and I guess uh, something struck Jimmy about it and a few days I think it was just maybe a few days later we were um, I found myself in the studio with him him and Mitch, just the three of us and that's cut that track. <laughs>
2: The first time you heard the song, and you were as you were recording it, did you feel the, the 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 quality of the song and how good it was going to be, and, and what a hit it was going to be?
1: Well, who knows how big a hit something's going to be? But yes, obviously, it was um, uh, it was something unique and special, so something was going to happen with it. And Hendrix was just such you know there was there wasn't anybody like him. Still hasn't been.
2: Picking up on, on, on other people you've worked with, I mean, it's an incredible glittering career in terms of people you've worked with yourself. I mean, Paul McCartney, I mean, you worked with George Harrison. was it like working with these guys? Because these are genuine superstars, aren't they?
1: Um, well, I got to know Paul through a girl that I was with at the time he was designing some furniture for him. So that's how I basically met him. And then through him, met George. Um, and um, that's basically how that... Sort of came about, and it wasn't unusual for people to be at other people's studio, you know—drop by a studio at the time in London. I mean, everybody was there. Everybody's using the same studios; weren't that many, uh, and everybody was in London anyway, being pretty much the music capital of England. So it was—it was—it was very easy to to, uh, <laughs> to to bump into somebody, say hi, just you know, everybody. Was somewhat of a fan of each other's music, so I mean, looking back, it's it, it's they were great things at the time. It's what I was doing, so um, you know, it, it was sort of part of parcel of my world at the time. You know, being young, I just like I said, it was just um, just exploring all kinds of things. I pretty, I mean, I have very eclectic music taste.
2: And um, you, 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 we've spoken about people you've worked with. We've spoken about traffic. And yourself, you, you've had a, a hugely successful solo career, which has gone on for a long time as well. But I've heard you in interviews say that you felt more of a a, a man, not that, that fronts things, but a man that kind of plays alongside other people. So how did you find having the solo career then?
1: In the beginning, um, it was, despite, it's not really, you know, like I said, I I prefer to be, I mean, I have things that I, that I, but I'd rather make it within a band, you know. I mean, I just my whole thing. My the way I looked at Traffic was there's a lot, there's a lot of divergent tastes, but there was a lot of very similar tastes in music. But everybody had their own little thing, um, and I always assumed to be somewhat like a, uh, you know, a unit that would come together and make records of Traffic. But but there'd be room for each other, you know, everybody to go off and do their own thing if they wanted to. So I always looked at it that way, but I like the um, yeah, I like the I like the band thing. I mean, that's what I do. I'm on the road. I've been on the road for over fifty years. (laughs) So I'm a working musician.
2: Absolutely. And then in, in terms of like your solo stuff, you moved to America, didn't you? When, when you were pretty young, your solo hits, I mean, you had big albums, like I said, gold albums, you had platinum albums over in America, some huge hits over in America as well, but it didn't really translate to, to the UK. Was that never really a thought to come back and try and, and do that here? Cause obviously you had hits with traffic over here, but it was the solo stuff. Nothing got- ever
1: happened was for me in the UK. Okay. It's I, it's, I wish it did. Um, and it would be great to come back and play there, but it never, it, nothing ever took off over there for me. Strange. Yeah. Uh, there was some Scandinavian countries, but never in England. Shame. Yeah,
2: was that a conscious decision? I spoke to but Roger O. from, I spoke to Roger Earl from um, Foghat, and he was saying that the, the success in America almost kind of stopped them coming back to the UK because they were having so much success there. Why do they need to come back to the UK? Was that something you were thinking, or is it just uh, what happened?
1: No, I nobody never made any. There's no. I never had any hits there. There was no record sale. I mean, there's a few fans over there, but it wasn't enough to warrant coming over. In, in tourists, it, the you know the cost of doing it would have been prohibitive because there would just be small audiences. So it's never. There's never. It's never been big enough record sales there to warrant you know um, coming over there. I'd love to otherwise. Indeed.
2: And uh, just touching on something else you did in the mid nineties, Fleetwood Mac, another big name, were just dropping in and you, you became part of that band again. Um, It's nice to have been mentioned with Fleetwood Mac, um, but again, it's something that you said looking back now, it was, it was a strange experience, a, a weird time almost.
1: I was kind of, a Ill- well, it, but the thing was with the album, um, um, Stevie and um, was not with it at the time and they were doing it. Mick wanted to do something. Um, and rang me up and said, "Hey, I'm you know I'm thinking of putting something back together." And uh, I was like, "Okay, sure, sure. I'm, let's give it a shot." Um, and it was basically myself, Billy Burnett, uh, Becca Bramlett, of course, who I were from. Who was Delaney and Bonnie's daughter, who had a huge hit over here with only you know and I know, my song, and who I played with for a long time. Um, she was in the band, and Christine McVie recorded the album, but she wouldn't go on the road. <laughs> so it was, um, yeah, it was it, it 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 was a sort of Fleetwood Mac. <laughs>
2: <laughs> sort of Fleetwood Mac And speaking of Fleetwood Mac And Mick Fleetwood A good friend of yours um, Something you did During lockdown I think it was last um, it was Last year at some point Wasn't it you, you did a re-recorded version Of your song Feeling Alright But you brought together Some friends of yours Didn't you and Some very high calibre friends Do you want to tell us about that um,
1: I got Sammy Hagar Michael McDonald uh, All three of the Doobie brothers uh, Mick uh, Did a re um, rethink of, of Feeling Alright Which Which Everybody, if you go, uh, the the website's DaveMasonMusic.com. and there's a nice, there's a cool some cool stuff up there. There's those videos are available through there to see. Um, there's some very cool interviews I've got in there with like, with Mick and a few other artists. So, but yeah, that that video is up there, um, and it's worth watching. It came out great, <laughs> considering we were all in different places. <laughs>
2: How did you find uh, filming that and recording that song then? Because it must have been a different way of working with, with getting things sent to you on the internet and mixing and all that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, I, um, yes and no. I mean, I'm you know, I have a little studio at home, so I'm used to having people do parts and back on a track. <clears throat> um, obviously a little bit more laborious doing it that way, but um, but the fact of the matter is it came out it actually, it it actually came out sounding like we were actually cutting that two together. It didn't. It, it doesn't even appear like we were all in different places. So um, it was interesting. It was fun. Very cool.
2: And how did you go about selecting the the members for that song then? I mean, because obviously you've worked with so many people and you've got such a, a, a strong connection to the music industry and you must know hundreds, if not thousands, of musicians. So, so what made you select those guys in particular?
1: Most of them. Most of them are oh, from being, um, I mean, the Doobie Brothers, I've been done shows with them back in the 70s. I mean, we've done shows on and off for a long time. So, And really got to know them about, I think it was about four years ago, was it four, five, Journey? Uh, there was a tour with Journey, myself, and the Doobie Brothers here in the U.S. And um, so we really got close on that. Sammy Hagar and Michael, uh, I know them from here in Maui. Um, Michael has a place here. Uh, Sammy was over here a couple of years ago visiting a mutual friend. Um, And Mick, I just know, Mick's lived here for 20 years. Mick and I have known each other for a long time. We're, We're good friends. So basically it was just like call everybody up, say hey, I was thinking of this. Do you want to Sure, man. I know that song. I've done that. Song before. <laughs> <laughs> so,
2: everybody knows that song.
1: <laughs> yeah, everybody. Um, and that's basically it. And then John McPhee, actually from the Doobie Brothers, uh, who is a huge talent, major talent, the quiet one of the group, really talented guy, was very instrumental in um, gathering the audio together uh, in it. So, yeah. It came out really good.
2: Good stuff. And just touching on something that we, we mentioned at the start there in the intro, the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, it must have been almost bittersweet for you in a way, because it's fantastic to be recognised and to be to be lauded in such a way. But still, with what happened with the group and, and Steve Winwood in particular, it must have been nice in one way, but almost a, what could have been in another way for you.
1: Well, I, I, it was. Uh, I mean, it would have been a great opportunity to do a re, you know, to go out and tour especially here in the US and I'm sure probably in the UK too but I mean if I had a dollar for everybody to ask me about that <laughs> over the years um, but Steve just don't he just doesn't want to do
2: it how did you find the whole um, rock hole experience then the, the induction itself the night and all that sort of stuff
1: well, it was an, it, you know it's a great gathering of everybody the great thing about it was it's probably one in my mind probably one of the better evenings i mean there was some it was traffic prince jackson brown uh, ZZ top and um, um like a rock uh, bob Seger. yeah so it was it was quite an evening prince was awesome i mean I've never seen him live i have to say he was Guy was he was pretty amazing, <laughs> wonderful
2: talent, wasn't he? Absolutely wonderful talent. And just one last thing then, um, I've heard that you're working on an autobiography, a book. Um, yeah, how are you finding this? Is uh, I've spoken to other people that have written books or are writing books, and they they kind of say it's, it's a mixture of emotions it's elation, it's it's upset, it's heartbreak, it's happiness. I mean, how do you find it?
1: Um, well, I don't know if I'd find it's so much that I'm 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 a more pragmatic guy, um, so I did. the process. I wish I had a better memory. I wish I had kept a diary. <laughs> um, but it's, I have a co-writer with me um, who's done uh, a number of co-written books. With uh, in fact, he did one with the uh, with the Doobie Brothers, Chris Epting, um, and he's he's great great for research. You'll find, hey, remember this part? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, I get it. Otherwise, there's a lot of things that just (laughs) go by the way.
2: And what stage are you at with that? uh, Is there a a, a date we're looking for for publishing or anything with that one?
1: I don't really know at this point because I'm right in the middle of a trying to close a publishing deal. Um, So we'll see how that pans out. Uh, If it does... Um, it would probably be out probably not until next May or so I would imagine.
2: Dave it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you and hearing your stories really appreciate it and look forward to to reading your book when it finally comes out
1: yeah well thank you it's going to be called Only You Know and I Know of course (laughs)
2: of course indeed (laughs) lovely enjoy the rest of your evening Dave thank you
1: thank you you too
2: There you go, Dave Mason there. What an incredible career he's had, from working with Steve Winwood and Jim Capaldi in Hall of Fame group Traffic, having a successful solo career in the US, to playing on arguably the best cover song of all time, Jimi Hendrix's All Along the Watchtower. He's played with members of The Beatles, The Stones, Eric Clapton, Fleetwood Mac and many more as well. Phenomenal stuff, it really is. Now it's the time of the show for my top fives. It's where I give you my favourite five songs from the artist or band of the artist that I've just interviewed on the show. Now, this is my personal choice. I don't claim it to be a definitive list. It's very subjective and hopefully can open the doors for anyone who may not be overly familiar with the group in question. So here we go. My favourite five songs from Traffic, according to Vintage Rock Pod. Number five is Equal Parts Blues Riff and Psychedelic Blowout. It's a tune telling the tale of a wine-guzzling beauty with gypsy in her blood. From the second album, Traffic from 1968,
1: number five is Pearly Queen.
2: At four is a real funky track, which eventually appeared on the hastily put together Last Exit album after the band broke up for the first time. It has a rolling groove to it that just carries you along. Follow me, it's good for you. That good old fashioned medicated goo. And number four is Medicated Goo. Number three is the band's masterpiece. Now, I'm going to be shot down for not picking it as number one, but this is a personal choice after all. Built around a simple piano riff, this 11 minute spectacular is rock, prog, jazz, improv piece all rolled into one. From the album of the same name from 1971, number three on the list is the low spark of High Heeled Boys. Number 2 for me is a song that stays in your head all day when you hear it. Jazz infused with piano groove and saxophone included too. From their eponymous second studio album number 2 is Feeling, Alright.
1: You're feeling All Right. I'm not feeling too good myself. Oh, yeah.
2: And at number one is from their debut album from 1967. It starts off as a beautiful 60s jam, and by halfway we've got the ear melting solo. So so good. It's a top tune later covered by the likes of Hendrix, Grateful Dead, and Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. My favourite track of theirs, the number one traffic song according to Vintage Rock Pod, is Dear Mr Fantasy. there you go my favorite five songs from traffic as ever i'd love to hear your thoughts on this list where do you agree where do you disagree drop me an email vintage rock at gmail.com would be lovely to hear from you now i want to give a shout out to one of my uh, vintage rock pod vrp vips who is in touch during the week andy old uh, he's got an incredible story to tell so i'm going to read it out for you hope you enjoy this as much as uh, as i enjoyed reading this and he says this is the honest truth." Now he says that after a Whitesnake gig at Southampton Gormont in the early 80s, his mate Mark Gates and himself, plus a couple of girls he'd hooked up with, wanted to try and meet the band. Unfortunately, they all jumped straight on their tour bus and headed for their... Hotel. Now, undeterred, he said, we dashed back to the car and managed to catch up and follow the bus back to the said hotel. They were then lucky enough to wangle their way into the hotel and spent a couple of hours hanging out with the whole band. Now, he said this was the classic early lineup David Coverdale, plus John Lord, Ian Pace, Mickey Moody. Bernie Marsden and Neil Murray. He says Cozy Powell was also there, just just Cozy Powell. He said, we literally sat around drinking and chatting, which was like a dream come true. We got autographs, of course, but here's the best bit of all. One of the girls, I think her name was Pauline, but we never stayed in touch, had on a jacket with pin badges all over the lapels. One of the badges had the slogan, would I lie to you just to get in your pants? Now, according to my listener Andy, he then goes on to say, David noticed this and remarked that it would be a great idea for a song. We never thought any more about this until later on when Come and Get It, the album, came out containing side two, track two, Would I Lie to You? He said, Well, you could have knocked us down with a feather. We were there for a small part of White Snake history. Incredible stuff, Andy. Love hearing stories like that. Please get in touch if you've got something similar you'd love to share with myself and with everyone that's listening. Now, we've literally got listeners all over the world. I think we've reached 92 different countries around the world now, which is pretty phenomenal. Drop me an email, vintagerockpod at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you and I would love to hear your stories too. Now, if you would like to become a VRP VIP like Andy is, it's basically where you sign up to receive a newsletter that lands in your inbox at the very most once a week, and it's full of information about the episodes before they're released, chances to win things. There's extra little stories from around the world of Vintage Rock Pod 2. Plus, this last week, uh, VRP VIPs also got the chance to submit their own question to one of my future guests, which is coming up as well. Now, you can submit these uh, questions in right writing or you can record a little voice memo or you can record yourself a video and I will play it to the artists themselves. Pretty incredible. Now, if you want to be involved, just go to my website, VintageRockPod.com, and you can sign up using the form on the first page there. I promise your information will not be sold or passed on to anyone else. I'm not going to spam you. You are completely safe. And please check out Vintage Rock Pod on the social media channels as well. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It's where I share short videos, clips, pictures, all that sort of stuff. And also on YouTube as well, where I post some of the video interviews online too just search for vintage rock pod on all those platforms and you'll be able to find me give me a like follow subscribe say hello it would be great to hear from you also look out for the pantheon podcast network now vintage rock pod is now proudly part of the network of music podcasts which has just released a series narrated by the one and only roger daltrey of the who it's called the real me podcast and it's part of The Who Cares Teen Cancer America program. Definitely check that one out and look through all the other fantastic series that are available on the network too. Just look for Pantheon Podcasts Network. Enjoy them. Well, that's it for this week's show then. More big name guests to follow with rock and roll stories. Episodes are going to be released every Monday. And if this is your first listen, make sure to follow or subscribe so you don't miss any of the episodes as they land. So until the next one, remember if you come across anyone who isn't a fan of classic rock just tell them my music is better than yours take care
0: it's nfl draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football